Hello everyone, welcome to Langstaff Assembly Podcast. My name is Yanaili Joyce and I'm your host for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you and that it draws you near to God. I'm going to ask you to turn with me please to Mark's Gospel uh, for a short time and we want to turn to chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 And we'll read from verse 32, and we'll read down to verse number 36. And the word that I want to think about today is the word pressure. So let's read Mark 14, verse 32 to verse 36. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy, and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death, tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee, take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And that will do for a reading. There's not really any escape from pressure in life. It doesn't matter what stage of life we're at. And it doesn't matter the circumstances in which pressure arises, or even, I don't suppose it matters, the seriousness of those circumstances. Pressure comes. And when we look at Mark 14, we're seeing the Lord Jesus in a moment of extreme pressure unbelievable pressure, unprecedented pressure. He is anticipating the cross and that anticipation in and of itself brings a pressure that finds the Lord Jesus in Gethsemane on the ground, his body reacting to the pressure and we find him in prayer and we want to think of it. And to do so for a couple of reasons. And think about these reasons as we go through this little meditation. Number one, if you're under pressure at the moment, and you may well be for whatever reason, then a consideration of how the Lord Jesus coped and the steps he took whilst under that pressure may be helpful for you today, that we might learn from the Lord Jesus and his response to pressure. The second uh, line of application, if you like, is if you're in a different place from that, and it may well be that in your walk with the Lord Jesus, you become a little indifferent, You've become cold in heart, whichever way we want to describe it. And the sacrifice and sufferings of Christ are no longer something that you think about or that affects you when you do. Well, if you're in that place, and no one else on this uh, Zoom meeting will know if you're in that place, neither do they need necessarily to know. But if you're there, then it may well be this meditation will bring heat where there is none and light where there is none 
and affection towards Christ stirred again within your soul. And so there are two little things to think about as we go through this meditation. Gethsemane was somewhere in the Mount of Olives. Now, if you've been to Gethsemane, I'm afraid you probably haven't, and you should get your money back maybe, because really no one knows where Gethsemane is. And you say, well, I've been there with these olive um, branches, and they were, you know, 3,000 years old. They're not actually, because uh, the Roman authorities at the time of Titus in AD 70 destroyed the surrounding areas of Jerusalem um, within a 12-mile circuit of Jerusalem, and they leveled it and there wasn't a single living thing left. And so what you have is subsequent to the time of Christ when you come to that area, but nonetheless, you may well have been standing somewhere around where the Lord was in Gethsemane. The location is irrelevant. It's what happened there at the time that's relevant. And it's interesting that this place was obviously a favorite place for the Lord Jesus to go, and someone had given the Lord Jesus permission to enter into this garden. Some unnamed person owned it and permission had been given. Yet another example, it's a lovely study that I saw, people who gave things to Christ in his life and that Christ used, and this is one of them. And he resorted there for prayer, Gethsemane, the place of pressure, the place of the oil press, and we want to think of what the Lord Jesus Christ did in his time of pressure, because this was pressure like he had never experienced. This is pressure like no man has ever experienced. The first thing to think about is this, and we get it in verse 32, our first verse, is that the Lord Jesus felt and appreciated his need for prayer under pressure. It says, and they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he says to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. Now remember, there are 11 of them, plus the Lord Jesus. Judas has gone his merry way, and he's off betraying the Lord Jesus, so there are 11 left. And the Lord Jesus speaks, and the language would indicate he speaks with purpose, and he commands them. And so the majority of that group sit somewhere near the entrance, it would appear, and then three are taken further with him. But he says this, while I shall pray. Now, it's sad when you read through what happened, and I'm not going to deal with it this morning. But his disciples let him down and let themselves down. And would pay the price for that when they forsook him and fled him and Peter denied him. He said, watch and pray, and they didn't. And so they were unprepared for the temptation that came. He said it three times, and Peter denied him three times. I don't think it's a coincidence. And so you see the Lord is going to teach his disciples something here for leadership, but they're going to miss it, and so they're going to fail. And although they had an emotional attachment to Christ, they were spiritually unprepared because they had not valued the need of being spiritually alert and also spiritually dependent upon Christ. Both of these things led them to a position of failure. They didn't watch nor pray. The Lord Jesus is going to demonstrate the need to watch and pray. And so he'll do both things. The example was lost on them because they fell asleep. But he goes to pray. And the crushing, indescribable weight of the cross in all that it entailed 
is bearing down upon him with his full knowledge of what lay ahead of him. The desertion of his closest friends is imminent. One of his own Judas is away orchestrating a scandalous betrayal. And the Lord Jesus, whilst all of that pressure is building, what does he do? Well, here's a question for you. And it's a question for me. What do we do when pressure builds? You know, the pressure gauges in the old big boilers, the old steam boilers and so on. And maybe you've got, a, I don't know how your heating system works. Here in Scotland, our heating is on just about all year round. But, you know, we have what we call central heating and it's not air blowing, it's water and, and radiators and so on. And we have a boiler in the house. And, you know, when the pressure gets too much in that boiler, you've got a problem and you can see the gauge going up. Take that as a picture and think about your own head. What happens when the gauge is, is just going up into the red zone? And when the pressure builds, what do you and I do? Well, here's the thing, and it's hardly a secret to tell you because I think most of you, if not all of you, will probably do exactly the same thing as me. Which is that we walk away from God instead of walk towards him. We actually tend to self-isolate ourselves. We revert to coping mechanisms that don't involve God. And so we may do more exercise, we may eat more food, we may um, spend time in inappropriate relationships, we may um, spend time on the internet, we may shop, whatever it is. We've got coping mechanisms for pressure, which we tend to revert to, but God's not a part of it. Now, how do we know that? How do you know that and how do I know that? Because I find it very difficult to pray when the pressure is on. Real pressure. Pressure tends to debilitate rather than liberate. But with the Lord Jesus, it was different. Pressure didn't close his mouth. Pressure opened his mouth. Pressure didn't get him to walk away from God, got him to bow before God. You see, there's a different response to pressure here that we can learn from. And this is manifested in his instinctive, if you'll allow me to use that word, his instinctive responses to pray why would that be because this has been the pattern and rhythm of his life he didn't need to learn something new when the pressure came on he didn't need to do something different he simply needed to revert to that established rhythm of life which was the bedrock of his daily routine which was prayer and so he does that very thing and he needs that intimacy with his father that was so familiar to him and that was his recourse to prayer. Pressure takes him to prayer. Now, could I encourage you today? This is something I'm sure you've learned. It's something I've learned in my own experience. That pressure brings reluctance to pray because very often pressure will result in us trying to fix things or pressure will result in us trying to do things. Pressure rarely takes us to a place of sitting before God in prayer. It seems to have the opposite effect, but the right thing to do for us as Christians is to follow the example of Christ here. Pressure should lead to prayer. Now I'm saying should be because I'm saying to you that I'm not speaking to you as someone who does this all the time. But on the contrary, someone who knows they should, but doesn't always do it. 
Pressure should lead to prayer. But the second thing to notice is just this. Pressure also came to cause him to seek his close friends. And so he wanted friendship, true friendship, whilst under pressure. I've been speaking to a person recently, in fact, almost daily, and this has been going on for about 18 months, and they're under severe pressure. So much so, you don't know them, so I can tell you, so much so they're having to move location and leave a business behind, and the pressure has been brought by other Christians. The most severe type of pressure that I know doesn't come from the ungodly. And this type of pressure, I said to this brother and sister a while ago, maybe more than a year ago, when the pressure is on, you discover that you have very few friends, true friends. Probably no more than you can count in one hand. And actually, the truth of the matter is, it's almost impossible to maintain true friendships with people of a greater number than that. I don't mean that other people are your enemies. I just mean other people have a level of friendship, but there is, a, there is an intimacy, there is a relationship you have with, very, with a close, small group of individuals, and that is good and right, and they are your closest friends. They're the sorts of people that you want their company when the pressure gauge is now in the red. You seek their company, you want their presence, you want their counsel, you want their prayer. You just want to be in their company because it makes things better. The Lord Jesus does that very thing. You say, well, he didn't need friends. Well, yes, he did need friends. These were the people that he often drew to himself, Peter, James, and John present at the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead in Mark chapter 5. These were the ones in the holy mount that were witness to his transfiguration. These were the ones who received that little bit extra of teaching in Mark chapter 13 in relation to the end of the world. You see, the Lord Jesus is a perfect man on earth. He didn't just need the physical things that humanity required. He needed the emotional things that humanity required as well. And so food, drink, clothing, shelter, sleep, yes, but also human contact and fellowship and friendship. He valued them. He sought them. He cultivated them. And in this time of pressure, he asked his friends to share it with him. He did not hide it from them. Sadly, his friends were flawed well, so are our friends. <laughs> I'm flawed as a friend, and I have flawed friends. That's okay. We understand that. We know that our friends aren't perfect. We know that they'll say something that's maybe inappropriate, or, or they might not be there, or fulfill your expectations. But then you're doing the same for them, so let's not, let's not think otherwise. We're flawed human beings, after all. We need to cut each other a bit of slack in relation to that. But friendship is so vital. The Lord Jesus, you see, he didn't just want them to, to share his pressure, to alleviate his pressure. He actually wanted them to benefit from sharing that experience with him. He, of course, is perfect and has no flaws. And so his expectations and aspirations for his friends are so much higher 
than ours would be, but he actually is going to teach them about things that lie ahead. That's why he says, watch and pray. And don't you find absolutely astounding that in this pressure point of his life, he will interrupt his prayer with his father three times out of concern for his friends. Three times he'll do it. He'll stand up off the ground, break off his prayer, and he'll go and speak to his disciples and say, watch and pray. Lest ye enter into temptation. He would have thought he would have been consumed with his own situation, as we get, but he wasn't. Because even in the moment of keenest pressure, he has a care and love for his own. I find it staggering when you think about what he was experiencing, that into that mind came thoughts of his friends that caused them to stand up and walk back over to them and instruct them for a care of what lay ahead for them, that they might be ready and learn from his experience. And so therefore not fall into temptation. Well, of course, they fell asleep each time. They missed it. They missed it, that unique observation and participation. And the consequence was that spiritually they were not ready for the temptation. And so that's why they all forsook him and fled. And that's why Peter failed. Watch and pray. And so he has a care for his friends and they have a care for him. Pressure. Thirdly, what about his sorrow under pressure? This is incredible, really. You read of it, don't you, in verse number 33 and verse 34. And he takes Peter, James, and John, and language is used here. Whatever translation you're using will render it differently, but give the same sense. The language is strong and extreme. And so the version I've read to you said they began to be sore amazed. It's actually quite an accurate translation. And the question would be, what would amaze the Lord Jesus? Uh, Lenski, a, trans, a, a commentary I like to read, says this, that he began to be completely upset and worried. It seems the language of weakness that we never associate with Christ but we do here. And then it goes on to say, and to be very heavy. This is a strong term. It speaks of a level of anguish which is beyond comprehension. Now, what causes this? Is it Judas' betrayal? Is it the disciples' desertion? Is it Israel's rejection? Is it the coming unjust trials with at least 25, maybe 26 points, even of jurisprudence and of judicial process which are unlawful, rendering the trial unjust. That's never mind the actual substance of the accusations. That's just the process. The mockery, the scourging, the crucifixion, let us not, let us not think that these things were not serious considerations for the Savior. Don't think that as the perfect man, he thought it a light thing to have a nail driven through his hands and feet. But I think as you would do that, the terminology here to speak of his anguish would refer to something that is beyond that. Is he anticipating 
being made sin for us? Is he anticipating the anguish of abandonment? Is it not so much the stroke and of a, of a Roman lash, but is it the stroke of divine wrath that causes him such anguish? One writer said, the Holy Saviour faced the wrath of God for sin. Wrath which for us would endure for an eternity. Such is the dreadfulness of sin before a holy God. It then goes on to say this, that he articulates his anguish. Now there's a change. So the first two expressions are commentary provided by Mark. The last expression is commentary provided by Christ. For it says, he says, this is what he says to his own. My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. His distress is so great that he speaks about it to his disciples. And he says, I am encompassed by sorrow by grief. He has reached the extremity of pressure that a human being can cope with that would not result in death. He's right on the borderland of what a man can cope with before it overwhelms him. That's why in Luke 22 and verse 44, it says, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, I know some folk think that actually he sweat blood. I don't. I think it's the key expression there is, as it were. And so the sweat coming off him was just like blood coming off him. He was sweating profusely when he was on the ground. And to sweat had the appearance even like blood falling to the ground. And then in verse 35, it says, he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed. And so his agony is so great, he can't stand up. And the four gospels give us this. In Luke, we, we learn he went to his knees and Matthew then says, then he fell on his face. It's not that he just went right down, but he went down in stages, down onto his knees and then onto his face. And he prayed. And I'm nearly finished. And this is hopefully a bit helpful for us if we're finding it hard to pray. Three things about his prayer, and then I'm finished. There was intimacy in his prayer. He said, Abba, Father. You know, the wonderful thing is this, that a Jew would never have taken these words on his lips to speak about God in the Old Testament. Yet, Paul teaches us in Galatians particularly that as a consequence of adoption, these are words that we can take upon our lips. And the intimacy that Christ had in the garden articulated as Abba Father is the same intimacy that we have because Paul says, because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So there is an intimacy that we can cultivate in prayer that's not inappropriate. Secondly, there is petition in his prayer. 
God can do the impossible. He's got power to do whatever he wants. But he understands this. If he doesn't go to the cross, Satan wins and heaven is empty and hell is full. And the Bible isn't true. And God's integrity disappears. For without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission. And the cup is a symbol from the Old Testament of wrath. And he's about to drink that cup. Spurgeon says this, it seems as if hell were put into the cup. He seized it, and in one tremendous draught of love, he drank damnation dry. Don't you wish he could speak like Spurgeon could speak? He drank damnation dry. It's very vivid. And thirdly, in his prayer, was submission. He had lived submissively to his father throughout his whole life, from the age of 12 onwards. And now in the greatest act of submission and obedience, he takes the full cup, the full chalice of man's sin and divine wrath, knowing it means separation from his God. And with resolve, he will rise and drink that entire cup and do so for you and for me. Pressure. Here's the question. In this week that we've entered, in the moment of pressure, which will come. It can come in the home. It can come as you're caring for your family. It can come in your business, in your workplace, in your family relationships, in your assembly community. Any context can produce pressure. The question I want to pose to you is this. Will we be like the Lord Jesus in that moment of pressure? Will we go to prayer? Will we seek the fellowship of friends? And will we petition submissively our Father? The last little thing to say is this. You know, the more you get to know Scotsmen, and some of you do know Scotsmen, the more you would understand this, that we are not particularly emotional beings. At least we don't express it. That's maybe a better way of saying it. Dan knows this more than most. And we sometimes are a bit uncomfortable with the expression of emotion. That's a cultural thing in Scotland. You know, I've often said that handshakes like a 10 minute hug for a Scotsman. So if you get a handshake, you're doing well. But the point of the matter is here, and this is perhaps for some of us who are like that instinctively, and don't like to share what we feel. The Lord Jesus is not like that. He draws his friends close to him that they might share with him his pressure. And he expresses it, as I've said, he articulates it, he tells them how he is feeling. Now, it's not overshare. You know, he's not telling them he's got a sore toe or something like this. He's, he's, he's in a moment of serious pressure, and that pressure valve is going to be released slightly by his friends and by prayer. But notice this, that the expression of these emotions are done with a submissive attitude to God. This is not a rant or a rave. This is 
submissive character. I do trust that this may just be a little help to us and blessing to us in the week that lies ahead. Hey, thank you so much for listening. What a privilege it was to share God's word with you today. We pray that you were fed, strengthened, and more equipped to run the race with perseverance. To listen to more podcasts like this, make sure to subscribe. For more content from Langstaff and to connect with us, go to langstaffassembly.com. Have a blessed day and we'll see you next time.